0: runoff elections in georgia change the balance of power in the u.s senate an insurrection in the Capitol leaves people dead glass shattered and a country shaken to its core
1: israel leads the world in COVID vaccinations while its detractors perpetrate a horrible lie joe biden announces more names for key national security
0: posts all that in an exclusive interview with freshman congressman richie torres of new york this week on the first edition of jewish insiders limited liability podcast And welcome to the first edition of Jewish Insider's Limited Liability Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg.
1: And I'm Jared Bernstein.
0: If you're listening, you probably already subscribed to Jewish Insider's Daily Kickoff, and we're very excited to launch this podcast under the Jewish Insider umbrella. A little bit of background. I'm from the right of center. Jared's, well, a little farther left.
1: I worked in a Democratic administration. Rich worked in a Republican
0: administration. I'm from Chicago. Jared's from New York.
1: I worked for the mayor of New York City. Rich worked for the governor of Illinois. He also worked on Capitol Hill for former US Senator Mark Kirk And a lieutenant commander in the United States Navy Reserves with prior service in Afghanistan. But
0: wait, there's more. Jared is a volunteer firefighter who now works at Bloomberg LP as a problem solver, helping to make the world better.
1: I'm a Yankee fan. Rich is a Cubs fan. But here's the deal. We're both Jewish. We're both Americans. We love our country, our faith, and our culture. We support the state of Israel, and we're excited to bring you behind-the-scenes insights and interviews that you won't get from the headlines.
0: If you get the daily kickoff already, you know the kind of issues we're going to cover here and you know the types of people we're going to interview. Politics, policy, business, media, education, religion, culture, food. If we can think of more, we're going to add more. Before we dive into the issues of the day, we are very honored to be joined by Jewish Insiders founder Max Newberger for this inaugural podcast. Max, welcome.
2: Thanks, Rich. Hi Jared. I'm just super excited, fellas. You both represent two of the finest uh, J.I. readers. You're deeply knowledgeable and engaged. You have strong points of view. You both worked in the White House under very different presidents. Uh, I know these lively conversations are going to be equal parts fun and serious, just like Jewish Insider. I know the two of you will ensure neither political party gets off easy and that you won't tolerate much whataboutism, just like at Jewish Insider. So we're really excited to grow this with you. Good luck.
0: Thank you. and appreciate the opportunity. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think this is going to be exciting. And Jared, we've got a great show for our first one. Very excited to speak with Congressman Torres coming up. First, uh, why don't we do just a quick rundown of the top headlines? Ain't political, the And I got the in hand. Yeah. Free cool when the I don't know how we can't you know, begin this podcast of all podcasts, unless we touch on what happened at the Capitol uh, last week. Uh, Jared, what does it mean to you? What are your feelings? Where do we go from here?
1: Well, you know, beyond the trauma, beyond the fact that we'll all remember where we were when a mob stormed the Capitol, when I approach this podcast and think about why I'm doing this, it's because we've as a society, let it get to this, where people feel as though they've been marginalized, they, they they aren't listened to, and people on the right and the left aren't hearing each other anymore, and they're just talking past each other. And so even though we probably aren't going to agree on a lot of things, we're going to be able to have a good conversation about it and keep each other honest. As far as what went on uh, at the Capitol on that fateful day, I think I'll leave that to Congressman Torres because he was there, he lived it, and he can shed more light than probably any of us can.
0: Yeah, I mean, I will just say as somebody who has served our country in uniform, has taken an oath uh, to defend the Constitution. Uh, anybody who was involved in that inciting it—that's uh, not patriotic. If you were storming the Capitol, if you were encouraging people to storm the Capitol, that is not patriotic. Uh, I—I'm still, you know, sort of going through my emotions personally over what happened. Uh, but I know that as a country, we have to do better, and I agree with you. We need to talk to one another. We can't shut each other out, and hopefully, we'll—we'll we'll get something done through this podcast.
1: Absolutely. So moving to the results of the Georgia. Runoff. I mean, who would have thunk it, right? If you would have told me 60 days ago that the two new senators from Georgia would be a black pastor and a Jewish former intern, you would, I would have told you to have your head examined. And yet here we are with the two new senators in Pastor Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, the former intern for Congressman, John, legendary Congressman John Lewis, are now our, our two new senators from Georgia and have t- tipped the balance of power in the United States Senate
0: to all of you staffers out there listening and i know you're listening you you guys you know you know i'm talking about the random tweeters and all that this could be you You could go from random tweeting to the U.S. Senate in a matter of a couple of years if you really put your mind to it. But no, Jared, you're right. I mean, this is a major shift in power. I obviously have my personal disagreements uh, with both of them on past language they've used, past statements. There was controversy over Israel during the election. uh, But the voters of Georgia have spoken, and we're going to have a very new Congress uh, going forward.
1: And, and Rich, how much do you think um, Republican voters were, were influenced by what was and what was not coming out of the president as they approach this runoff election. Do you think it really hurt uh, the, the two Republican senators and getting reelected here?
0: Uh, there's no question. I've talked to a bunch of Republican strategists and they are unanimous that when you depress your own turnout, uh, when you attack your own state officials, Uh, When you tell people their vote's not going to get counted, uh, amazingly, people decide not to vote. And so there was a turnout drop uh, for the Republican side. But you know what? There was also a brand problem that was going on. It held through both elections. Uh, We have suburban issues as a party, and that's something that we're going to have to work on uh, as we look to next cycle.
1: Uh, next up, we have uh, a slew of or a steady drumbeat of appointments in the foreign policy space from the Biden administration. Most recently, we had longtime State Department career diplomat Bill Burns uh, being named CIA director, not, uh, nominee. Uh, we have Wendy Sherman, Deputy Secretary of State. Colin Kahl, Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. John Finer, Deputy National Security Advisor. On top of Tony Blinken, somebody who's very known to the community as the nominee for for Secretary of State, and Avril Haines, who, by the way, if you haven't read Avril Haines's life story, hit pause on the podcast, Google her life story, because it is fascinating and it is not the sort of typical Washington uh, move up the chain and end up uh, the director of national intelligence. I'm not going to give too much of it away, but she is, I believe, an aircraft mechanic and a musician on top of being our nation's, uh, the nominee to be the director of national intelligence.
0: But if I may, Jared, I would just say uh, I look at this list. And I know these names, Bill Burns, Wendy Sherman, Colin Call, Finer, Blinken, Haynes. Where do I know these names for? Oh, by the way, John Kerry, Susan Rice, also going to be there in different roles. It's, it's like the same foreign policy team that Barack Obama had. It's the exact team that put together the Iran nuclear deal. I think that's concerning to a lot of people in the foreign policy community, at least on my side of the aisle. Should it be concerning to us?
1: Well, listen. I think that that having concerns and being having a healthy skepticism, you know, we know different things now. We've seen how the Iran deal unfolded or didn't unfold. But I think what you see in this list is a, a group of competent consummate professionals who, whether there are policy differences, policy divisions, you see people who actually take this task of governing seriously and present company excluded, uh, cause I have the utmost respect for you and your professionalism. You, it was challenging for the Trump administration to recruit and retain talent, uh, you know, of the, of the Republican variety. There were a lot of mainline Republicans who just didn't want to work for this president and, uh, I think American foreign policy suffered for it. I mean certainly, there were were things we can look back at the Trump administration and say, Okay, that was an achievement. Um, the Abrahamic Accords right uh, that was an achievement that wherever you sit you can you can point to that and say that was something that the president did that we wouldn 't want to undo today, but you can also say there was a lack of a coherent uh, at least for most of the, most of the President Trump's term of a cohesive, coherent foreign policy. And even if you have differences with Tony Blinken or Wendy Sherman or Bill Burns, these are professionals who come out of mainline democratic thinking who will, will, you know, restore some competency to, to the, the administration or, or to a presidential administration.
0: Well, obviously, I disagree with that. I think when you have a Mike Pompeo, who was at DCI, and then Secretary of State uh, John Bolton, while well, he was now security advisor, uh, even the outgoing National security advisor, Robert O'Brien, y- you do have a lot of people. Matt Pottinger has has d- just won a ton of acclaim in his role as deputy national security advisor and the China strategy. I think you had a lot of very capable people who served uh, in this past administration in foreign policy, national security posts, uh, mostly a very traditional conservative Republican foreign policy on most issues. There were exceptions, obviously. Uh, I, I just think that, as you say, there have been a lot of things that have changed since 2015. And I think the question remains, is this a deal that these people put together and just emotionally are wed to? Or are they capable of having an evolution of thought and say, here are the things that didn't make sense in hindsight. Here are the things that went wrong. And here's how we should go forward differently. I would just say that From from what I'm seeing, from what the president-elect is saying, at least on the Iran deal issue, it's not looking different. I I hope there is room for that to change. I
1: mean, and not you know we could we could probably do an entire podcast about this topic alone, and we do we should move on. But having worked with at least three or four of the folks on this list that we just went through personally, uh, I think they are sort of um, have the benefit of being. Of having stepped back, uh, been out of government, and and you know want to chart a. a, a signature foreign policy for this president that is his own. Uh, certainly there are people who came up in the Obama administration, just like in a Republican administration. you know, in, in the Trump administration, there were people who came up in the George W. Bush administration. Uh, and one day, you know, Rich Goldberg, you're going to serve as national security advisor to a future Republican president. And I'm going to heckle you on a podcast alone.
0: But I think that note, 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 note how he suggests for me a non-Senate. <laughs> that's right. Post. That's right. I want to know right, that. that. That's
1: right. 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 I think that, you know, uh, you know, there's always this sort of drain the swamp mentality and it's a great talking point. But, you know, government service is a thing that is learned. It is an art. It is a craft. And I think that it is important to know that sort of uh, respect. Respect that you have to take people from past administrations, um, but, then, but ultimately it will be on President-elect Biden as president to decide what his foreign policy is going to be. And I think he always, uh, you know, in the Obama world, probably was to the right side of, of, of the Obama sphere on foreign policy. Uh, but it'll be interesting, and I'm sure this won't be the last time we talk about it on this podcast.
0: No, for sure, and and I'll move on. I'll just say, you know, we should absolutely have an open mind with people as we start a new administration. We should want our president to succeed, no matter the party you're in, uh, and we will obviously start seeing with confirmation hearings uh, starting as soon as next week, uh, when you know some of these questions will get asked, and we'll start forming some judgments about where the administration's going. Okay, some sad news we obviously have to touch on. Uh, a couple of minutes just to note the passing of Sheldon Adelson uh, came across the wires this week. A philanthropist to so many Jewish and pro Israel causes, a self made billionaire who came from nothing to build uh, an incredible business empire. Very well-known and polarizing uh, in the political sphere, a major donor to Republican political campaigns and initiatives. Uh, But in the world of philanthropy, he's going to be very missed by countless numbers around the world. I had a chance to read his wife, Miriam's uh, heartfelt farewell statement uh, that that got published uh, on the wires today. Uh, And uh, I have to say, Really one of the most tear-jerking, uh, incredible, loving, heartfelt uh, send-offs that, that I've read from a family member, and we wish her, we wish uh, the entire Adelson family our, our deepest condolences. Uh, Baruch Dayan Emet, uh, as we say in Hebrew, uh, blessed be the true judge. Oh, Amen. Uh, and, you know, in, in in
1: piece of news that I'm sure uh, from from... Heaven, Sheldon Adelson is looking down and smiling, um, is Israel is leading the world in COVID vaccinations and has actually become a model for how to vaccinate your population against this this disease that is, in America at least, having a 9-11-like death toll every day. Uh, and the the state of Israel, the startup nation, has f- cracked the code on how to uh you know be both rigid in getting the right people the most at risk people vaccinated first but not so rigid that they are letting vac- you know doses of vaccine go unused and they are just cranking away vaccinating uh, you know by the time this podcast airs, the the percentage will already have jumped up. So I'm not even going to mention it, but they're, they're doing a, a staggeringly high number of vaccinations every day, a staggeringly high uh, percentage of their population. And of course, with, uh, you know, with all things successful in Israel, there is a conspiracy that goes with it from uh, all quarters, um, and a bunch of fake news, as some would call it, about the way Israel is relating to uh, Palestinian Palestinians in, in in territories that it administers, and but but you know, shout out to the state of Israel for. Figuring out how to conquer, uh, at least in this stage, the, the problem of COVID vaccinations and serving as a model for the rest of the world. I know in New York, uh, the front cover of the New York Post not too long ago uh, chided New York City and New York State officials for not getting it as right as, as Israel has.
0: Yeah. And obviously, Israel is a relatively small country, right? Smaller than my home state of Illinois. And so uh, it's it's hard to compare apples to apples with the logistic challenges that we would have here in the U.S. or other major countries uh, of, of multi-million, uh, tens, hundreds of millions of people. That said... Uh, as we say, the reason why the U.S. military is so successful, logistics, logistics, logistics. Uh, they didn't have some of the regulatory barriers they could uh, pre-order in advance uh, without waiting for FDA approval, so to speak. Uh, they really did the logistics uh, set up uh, correctly of how to distribute this quickly when it came in. Uh, so, yes, uh, Absolutely a model great to see they are leading uh, the world per capita in vaccinations i uh, hope that continues and hopefully we yeah, we can learn some lessons uh, from them they can share that with the rest of the world uh, to speed up vaccinations uh, here at home ain't no political stance but and i got in hand Let's move on to our featured interview today. Congressman Richie Torres, very excited about this. And Jared, uh, why don't you take it away?
1: 13 months ago in December of 2019, then New York City Councilman from the Bronx, Richie Torres, gave an interview to Jewish Insider where he proclaimed, I am the embodiment of a pro-Israel progressive, as he announced his bid for Congress in New York's 15th Congressional District. Torres went on to win the crowded primary against a number of pro candidates, including a vice chair of the Democratic National Committee and a former speaker of the city council, and just last week was sworn in as a congressman in the U.S. Congress. He's 32 years old. Torres touts himself as an afro latino LGBTQ, millennial, progressive, and pro-Israel. Torres is one of the first openly gay black congressmen in U.S. history. He's no stranger to the readers of Jewish Insider over the past year. As he enters Congress, we are honored to welcome now Congressman Richie Torres to the Limited Liability podcast as our inaugural guest congressman welcome thank you so much for being with us Uh, january 6th last wednesday in the capitol if you could just start by telling us where you were and what happened and when did you realize things were going in a different direction
2: well first it's it's an honor to be here uh, with the jewish insider uh which is uh, among my favorite publications um so i'm just i'm proud to be here you know, I guess I'll start with the observation that life never quite unfolds as you imagine it. Um, if if you had said to me a year ago that I would become a member of Congress amid an infectious disease outbreak and witness a violent insurrection against the U.S. Capitol during the Electoral College vote count uh, and then proceed to impeach Donald Trump for a second time, I would have said that's quite the movie. And... uh you know, my first week, it was much more eventful than I could have possibly imagined. It's, it's been as surreal as it is shocking. So on January 6th, Wednesday, uh, both the Senate and the House convened in a joint session of Congress uh, to finalize the Electoral College vote count. The vice president served as the presiding officer. And most members were waiting in their offices because we are prohibited by the rules from appearing simultaneously on the House floor given COVID restrictions. And so I was in my office in the Cannon building, uh, waiting patiently to vote, when all of a sudden, the United States Capitol Police stormed inside, directing my staff and me to immediately evacuate. And I was left wandering through the labyrinth of buildings connected to the Capitol. And in the meantime, there were protesters who managed to, not protesters, rioters, who managed to reached the Capitol, uh, storm inside the Senate chamber, inside the office of Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, terrorized members of Congress and their staffs, uh, even an officer was bludgeoned to death. So you had a violent mob that led to the murder of several people, including a police officer. Eventually, the Capitol Police found me and brought me to a secure location, which we subsequently come to discover became a Uh, a super-spreading event. And we were left waiting there for several hours until the Capitol Police and their reinforcements uh, regained control of the Capitol. And all of us are still in a state of shock how a violent mob could so easily storm into one of the most guarded places on earth uh, to the point of invading the office of the Speaker herself, to the point of disrupting and delaying the electoral college vote count. We did not resume the electoral college vote count until nine p.m. that evening, and we did not conclude the proceedings until four o'clock in the morning. So, what was supposed, what what is normally a thirty minute perfunctory affair, descended into a fourteen hour assault on the very temple of our democracy, uh, the U.S. Capitol.
0: Congressman, it's just so emotional to hear you talk about it. Uh, it's emotional every time I see more photos and I hear more things come out and testimonials from members and congressmen who stepped in front of other congressmen and senators who were protecting other senators and the images of the cap police officers you know, getting hit by the rioters. I'm a former Hill staffer. I worked on the Hill for 10 years. It's hard for me to put my head around it, uh, but at the same time, it's also – hard for me to get my head around a country where we can't work together on Capitol Hill and have bipartisanship. And so I guess my question is the house is going to do what the house is going to do. The Senate's going to do what the Senate's going to do. We're going to have accountability. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to try to get through this. Do you see yourself in this coming Congress as somebody who can still work across the aisle? Are there Republicans you can work with is how do we come together after this is my question, I guess.
2: It's hard to say. And it's worth noting there are republicans like liz cheney like peter meiser who who did act responsibly but you know we can have our policy disagreements and i have a rule: i never take politics too personally right you know there are some people who approach politics uh with a with a sense of fanaticism and radicalism um who, who say that if you disagree with me you're not only wrong but you're evil and you should be burned at the stake for heresy. And, and I've never taken a moralistic approach to politics. I've never taken policy differences personally. Uh, it's in my nature to build coalitions and find common ground wherever possible. Having said that, the, the attempt by Donald Trump and his enablers in Congress to overturn the results of the presidential election, to instigate a violent mob to storm inside the Capitol, in an attempt to disrupt the Electoral College uh, is beyond the pale. I mean, the violent mob Donald Trump unleashed on the U.S. Capitol is a violent assault on separation of powers between Congress and the president. It's a violent assault on the peaceful transfer of power from one president to the next. If striking at the very core of our constitutional republic is not impeachable, then what is impeachment for? So, you know, I'm willing to live with differences of opinion on policy, but we cannot abide an assault on the very foundations of, of our constitutional democracy. And make no mistake, the goal of the mob was to intimidate us as members of Congress from completing the constitutional process of counting electoral votes. Right? You had the president publicly target his own vice president. You know, Mike Pence must do the right thing, he must come through for us. And then you had the president tweeting against his own vice president while the Capitol was under siege. And there were, there was a noose, there was a gallow, there were rioters screaming, hang Mike Pence. Like Donald Trump inspired a violent mob that led to the murder of a police officer. And that could have led to an assault or something worse uh, against members of Congress, the speaker, the majority leader, and the vice president. Um, I feel like we're on un- in on un- dangerously uncharted
1: territory um as a country congressman to f- to follow up on that, I mean so we're both new yorkers um and really all Americans have these sort of moments that you can't ever uh undo from the psyche of our country. Uh, I remember as a young campaign staffer, uh, September eleventh, two 2001 on primary day, working on the mayoral primary and in, in being in Manhattan. And I remember every single second of that day um, and it's seared into my brain. And I would imagine that most people who were, you know, uh, out of high school or even in high school or younger would remember that day. Do you think this is a day like that, uh, that we're going to be talking about 20 years from now? We're going to be talking about 40 years from now about, you know, the, how this was sort of the exclamation point on six or eight years of of trumpism even though he's been president for four but 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 the birther movement and 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 all that that led to the rise of trumpism do you think we're, we're this is this is that moment that we're going to be talking about you know with the benefit of some history
2: No, nine eleven had a singularly high death toll uh but but i think both the seizure on the capitol and nine eleven. Uh, are going to have a profound impact on the psyche of our country. Um, I certainly had the same shocked reaction to the, the siege on the Capitol as I did to 9 11. You know, I never imagined a terrorist attack on the Twin Towers. I had a full sense of invincibility as a New Yorker. And then it happened. And I've never been the same since. Similarly, I had a full sense of Invincibility as a member of Congress in the most guarded place, one of the most guarded places on earth. I never could imagine a violent mob so easily storming inside the Capitol and terrorizing members of Congress. And sure enough, it happens. So it's going to have a an enduring impact on 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 the psyche of Congress. And you know, I give enormous credit to the Jewish Insider broke a story uh, that there was a plan for erecting a gate on the perimeter of the capital complex dating back to 2013 and it was rejected summarily based on cost and based on a desire to keep the the u.s capital the people's house as an open campus and and for me that position is no longer defensible um we can no longer afford the the notion of the u.s capital as an open campus is an open invitation to uh, violence and against the United States Congress. Um, it's no longer a tenable position. Um, members of Congress, there are attempts by white supremacists who traffic in anti-Semitism and racism and who are disillusioned with the outcome of the election who are intent on assassinating and apprehending members of Congress. Um, we need to ensure that the Capitol is much more secure, every bit as secure as the White House. Um, the security of the United States Congress, the security of the U.S. Capitol should no longer be an afterthought for federal law
1: enforcement. Congressman, switching gears, I think we want to talk uh, a little bit about y- your pro-Israel stances, because it's something that's very interesting to our, our readers and listeners at Jewish Insider. Uh, you've talked about yourself as not wanting to join the squad, uh, and, and how your positions on Israel as a proud pro-Israel Democrat are one of the sort of defining, uh, pieces of that, uh, would love to hear you talk about it. Um, y- you know, it's something that as as a proud uh, left of center person who's worked in the Democratic administration, um, that people talk about this battle for the soul of the Democratic Party. And can you be progressive and pro-Israel at the same time? And what does that mean to you? And and uh, I'm sure Rich is going to have a follow up on that. But I uh, would love to hear about what it means to you and, 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 and where we go from here as a party.
2: Listen, you know, New York City's become ground zero for democratic socialism. Um, in the latest election cycle, the DSA won every single race in which it endorsed, except mine. Um, you know, I ran in the most fiercely contested congressional primary in New York City, ran against the most powerful brand name in Bronx politics with the DSA senior, a former speaker of the council, a former vice chair of the DNC. And I had powerful forces arrayed against me, like Bernie Sanders, AOC, the WFP, the DSA, all endorsed, um, Elise Lopez against me. And not only did I win, but I won decisively. And I sent a powerful message that you can run as a pro-Israel, pragmatic, progressive uh, without catering to the extremes, and you can win decisively in a place like the South Bronx. And I hope that I can stand as an inspiration uh, to people who wanna govern independently of the extremes.
0: Congressman, do you see that there is this sort of divide going on at at those extremes of the party? I mean, does, do you think that the party as a whole has a problem? Is it just a wing of the party? Uh, Is it something that now, as an elected member of Congress, you can work with others to try to bring bring more folks within the Democratic Party along and, and try to recreate this bipartisan atmosphere that's existed for so long.
2: Look, the lesson learned from the siege on the Capitol is you cannot take anything for granted. You cannot take for granted the the strength of our democracy, nor can you take for granted the strength of bipartisan support for Israel. Um. You know, we have an obligation to combat anti-Semitism no matter where it emerges, whether it's from the right, from the left. Um, it has to be fought at every turn and in every form. You know, my concern is that the pro bds left could be to the Democratic Party in American politics where Jeremy Corbyn has been to the Labor Party in British politics. Right? It only takes a few demagogues to pump anti-Semitic poison into the bloodstream of a political party. And so I see it as my mission to resist the Jeremy Corbinization of, of progressive politics in the United States, to offer an alternative model of progressivism.
1: So Congressman, thank you for that, and I think that that is you know music to the ears of people who care about this issue. Um, shifting gears, um, we've been talking about some heady stuff. Um, we're going to move into something we like to call our lightning round. We're going to ask a couple of quick hitting questions. Some of them serious, some not so much. Can, I think the can, first. Can I, can can I take talk- the test if it's too incriminating? Yeah, ab- absolutely, okay. absolutely. Or or just say I don't recall that's one they taught us in law school too uh well, what's the meaning of his or you know, whatever yeah exactly exactly uh i think first uh we wanted to talk uh, on the iran nuclear deal should biden go back or wait a little bit and use the sanctions leverage that he's inheriting what do you think i think i think no matter what the pol- what,
2: no matter what the issue is whether it's iran or something else the objective should always be to improve upon the status quo
1: okay anti-semitism So, should the president elect to keep the uh, President Trump's executive order about using the Department of Education to investigate universities for complaints of anti-Semitism? It was used last year at NYU. There's an ongoing investigation at the University of Illinois. Rich Goldberg, and uh, what do we think the president elect should do?
2: So, I'm not familiar with the minutia of the executive order. It could be that there are improvements that could be made, but. I actually think that I support the concept of it because anti-Semitism runs rampant on college campuses. In fact, I always, people ask me why are you so pro Israel? And, and I jokingly tell them it's because I dropped out of college. I escaped the pathology of academic thinking.
1: <laughs> so now we'll get to the fun ones. Uh,
0: wait, wait, oh, wait, 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 no, go wait. Go wait, ahead, wait. I can't let you get to the fun ones. <laughs> I, have to, I have to do a follow-up. Sure, sure. I'm going to get a lot of reader uh, and listener um, email if I don't. Just to try one more time nail you down on Iran deal because it was a little bit of a non-answer. Let's say the president were to go back in. I know a lot of Democrats want him to go back in there has been bipartisan support for at least keeping terrorism sanctions on iran that seems like irgc the revolutionary guard bad people terrorism bad would you support keeping terrorism sanctions on iran regardless of views on the iran nuclear file
2: um I, i'm going to push back I, I don't think it was non an answer I, I i said if, if there, we should negotiate a better deal rather than maintain the status quo All right so the for me the non-negotiable principles or permanent nuclearization um address the need the need to end permanent permanently end nuclearization and permanently end Iran's regional aggression and um and i would be I would have concerns about arbitrarily lifting the sanctions and the effect that has of releasing funds that could subsidize terrorism against Israel and our allies in the region so my purpose was not to give an answer but to say if we can bill if we can negotiate a better deal why not like why not exercise the leverage we have to negotiate the best possible deal why do we feel down by history
0: that makes sense okay Jared you're you're cleared hot for the for the light stuff
1: okay great we'll get to a couple of fun ones one that I would imagine is gonna be a non-answer but we're gonna ask it anyway any favorites in the race for New York City mayor that's coming up in uh, the Democratic primaries in June ranked choice voting and the like I think it's 13 or 14 people running at last count
2: uh, I've lost count there there might be more people in the mayors race and there are members of Congress. <laughs> um, but I have made no endorsement, but, but I, I said to the New York times that I'm taking a serious look at Andrew Yang.
0: Okay. I was, I was the mean guy before, so I'm going to be the really lighthearted one to close. Yeah, please, please, rich. You're going to get us a bad reputation,
2: but I, I will say like myself, Andrew Yang is a idiosyncratic progressive and
1: <laughs> good, addition. good
0: addition. Okay. Uh,
1: I, Rich, be nice to the congressman, uh, I, otherwise other members aren't I, going to want to come I, on our I'm show, very okay?
0: Nice. I am nice. I am a very I good know. interviewer. Uh, okay. And, and here is here is the hardest question I will ask you tonight. Favorite Jewish food? I know. And do you have a favorite Yiddish? <laughs> um, <laughs> That's good. I like that.
2: I'm often referred to as a mensch.
0: Oh. And,
2: oh. Uh, That's a good one. And I love
1: brisket. Ooh. All right can I ask a follow-up congressman uh, sweet brisket or savory brisket
2: I'm not clear that I have a whatever let's just say I went to an APAC event one year and I ate the best brisket of my life and I, and that le- that left the lasting impression' Mike he, he, he,
0: he Jared he he believes in improving the uh, status quo of any brisket. That yes, is the key. Yes, that is the key. Yes.
1: So, c- Congressman, <laughs> here's the thing. Oh, here's this is a standing invitation. When we're allowed to visit each other, uh, you're going to be my guest in my home, and I'm going to cook you a brisket that you're going to not even remember the APAC APAC brisket, uh, and it's going it, to it's going to knock your socks off. But Congressman Richie Torres, freshman member from the Bronx, uh, thank you so much for being with us and giving us some of your time. And what is an incredibly, I'm sure. Hectic and taxing week, and uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate all the work you're doing, and we appreciate uh, you being here with on the Limited Liability Podcast.
2: It was it was a pleasure to not answer your questions today. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs>
0: Thanks, Congressman Jared. Wow, I am incredibly impressed. Uh, that is a congressman who is going somewhere.
1: Indeed, indeed. Uh, Well, folks, I think that's all the time we have. Hopefully, if we've done a good enough job and some of you listen and send emails to podcast at JewishInsider.com, Max will invite us back again next week to do a second Limit Liability podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family. If you didn't like what you heard, don't tell anybody. Follow us on Twitter at at J.I. Podcast. And remember to subscribe to... To limited liability podcast on your podcast listening medium of choice, and use social media for good and spread the word.
0: Until next time, this is Jewish Insiders Limited Liability Podcast. Thanks for listening. sweet then I rerun it. Then I get down
2: how we do.